This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. By your side, you're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, Alastair Laurie joins us to talk about the Australian government's new religious discrimination bill. And in a dramatic interview, we speak with gay Saudi asylum seeker Sultan moments before and shortly after his partner Nassar was released on a bridging visa from inside detention. And later, Joe Ball from Switchboard joins us to talk about their plight. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Well, the Australian government has released a new version of its religious discrimination bill. On the line, we have LGBTIQ community policy expert Alastair Laurie. Alastair, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Where do we start? Let's start with healthcare provisions under this new version of the bill. Is it worse for the LGBTIQ community? What are your main concerns? So in terms of healthcare and the conscientious objection provisions... What we've seen is a slight improvement. So they have limited the range of health practitioners who are able to claim a conscientious objection, but they've still kept in doctors, nurses, pharmacists, midwives and psychologists. So that represents a significant proportion of the contact that most everyday people are going to have with the health system. Similarly, the government's tried to limit the ability of of health practitioners to object to providing services to particular groups of people and concentrated on allowing them to object to providing particular services. But that objection, uh, that distinction doesn't necessarily make much of a difference in practice. So what we saw on Wednesday morning was the Attorney-General confirm that that will mean that a doctor will still be able to refuse to provide hormone therapy even though that will disproportionately or almost exclusively have an impact on transgender diverse patients. So it's really worse for the whole community in terms of healthcare. For example, you know, lots of lots of people from lots of groups may need PrEP. Under this version of the bill, a doctor could just say, look, I don't believe in giving it to anyone, therefore I'm not going to provide it to my patients. Uh, certainly that's another uh, a key risk from the conscientious objection provisions. So doctors and pharmacists refusing, refusing to provide PEP or PrEP on the basis that they don't believe in it when we know that that will have a disproportionate impact on on particularly gay and bi and other men who have sex with men and we'll also see potentially doctors and pharmacists refusing to provide contraception um, which could have a particular impact on women as well. To what extent does the new bill reduce anti-discrimination law particularly the state's rights in that field? So one of the most disappointing aspects of what we saw on Tuesday is that the government largely left unchanged uh, the statement of belief provisions. So they will still override all other Commonwealth, state and territory anti-discrimination laws, including the Fair Work Act and Tasmania's Best Practice Anti-Discrimination Act. That made a slight tweak in some of the language, but by including a definition for the word vilify and adding the term seriously intimidate, they probably actually made it even easier or allow even more statements to discriminate against women, LGBTI people, single parents, people with disability and people of minority faith. So to take a a particular example, LGBTI people in aged care facilities that are run 
that are publicly funded but run by religious organisations are currently protected against discrimination under the Sex Discrimination Act. But if this law passes, the staff members in that facility will probably be able to say homophobic and transphobic things to those residents as long as it's based on religious belief. What does the new bill say about LGBTIQ students in religious schools? Has the Prime Minister honoured his commitment to protect them and also staff? few different questions in one. It is. Um, in, ter- in terms of religious schools, what we've seen are the, the exceptions that they've kept, they've actually broadened um, to make it even easier for religious schools to discriminate, but primarily on the basis of religious belief and not other attributes. So, for example, religious schools will be able to very easily discriminate against students and expel them simply for changing their faith or to, to refuse to hire um, or fire teachers again on the basis of their faith. Obviously, uh, in terms of protecting LGBT students, what we really need are amendments to the Sex Discrimination Act, um, which have been pushed off to the Australian Law Reform Commission, which won't even start to look at them until after the religious discrimination bill process is over. But one particular risk is that by amending the test for religious exceptions in this bill and making it much, much easier to satisfy for religious organisations, the government might then transfer the same test into the Sex Discrimination Act. And so instead of protecting LGBT students, they might make it even easier for religious schools to discriminate against LGBT students. And what about teachers in religious schools? What does this new bill uh, give them? What protections, if any? Uh, It certainly doesn't give any protections. Um, As with students, it it will make it easier for the schools to discriminate against teachers on the basis of their faith. Uh, And there's no prospect on the horizon that this government is going to try and protect LGBT teachers in religious schools. A Uniting Church group has described this new bill as a form of apartheid. What did they mean by that and what's your response? Look, I'm probably not going to use the same language as them, but I, I think what they're getting at is that this is a bill that will divide Australia, that it's really an early Christmas present for religious fundamentalists who want the right to discriminate against others, who want the right to oppress people of minority faith, who want the right to be able to say horrible things about women and LGBTI people and others. It's really disappointing that the Commonwealth Government, rather than listening to the concerns of women, LGBTI groups, people with disabilities, civil society, lawyers, and even the Australian Human Rights Commission, the government really has pandered to extremists and have come up with a bill that will image to the fabric of our society. Of course, it seemed like almost no one was satisfied with the first version. Is anybody speaking in support of the second version? What's the Australian Christian lobby saying, for example? My understanding is that those groups are still claiming they would like even more rights to discriminate and even more trampling over the human rights of others in this bill. But pragmatically, or I might say maybe cynically, I think they're really making amber claims. Personally, I think that that most of those fundamentalists would probably be quite happy with what they're being offered because they're getting almost everything that they want. And in contrast, what we're getting is a threat to our fundamental human rights. Yes, the new bill was released ironically on International Human Rights Day. What does that say about the federal government's understanding of the bill's impacts on human rights? I can only reiterate the, the earlier comment that a range of different organisations, uh, including PIAC, including Equality Australia, uh, including the Australian Human Rights Commission, have pointed out to the government the, the significant and serious problems with this bill. And other than some very minor changes around conscientious objection, it's hard to see that they've really taken those concerns seriously. It is a bill that prioritises one set of 
rights over and above everyone else's, including the right to go about your daily life free from discrimination on the basis of who you are. What does the new bill say about the so-called fellow clause in the, in, that was in the first bill that was so, you know, condemned by so many groups? Is it still there? So the fallout provisions are still there. They've made a slight change to that by amending the wording to say outside of the course of employment. So in fact, it might make it slightly, it might limit the areas where larger businesses can't impose their codes of conduct uh, on employees, but it still will have the effect of, of allowing employees outside of that area to make offensive comments about minority groups. One other change that they've made in the same section is to add professional registration bodies or, or so legal admission bodies or medical registration bodies to provide that they can't take statements of belief into account when deciding whether to admit somebody. So even though an applicant may have made incredibly offensive comments about minority groups and would otherwise have been found to be not a fit and proper person to serve in that profession, those boards will not be able to reject that application. Submissions close on the 31st of January for the public to lodge submissions about the second religious discrimination bill. That seems very quick considering Christmas and the January holidays. Does that suggest the consultation period's not really very genuine? I don't know the answer to that. I think you'd have to ask the Attorney-General. We can encourage people to make submissions to this process. But what we'd really also encourage is for people to make direct appeals expressing those same concerns to Labor, the Greens, Centre Alliance and Jackie Lambie. They're the ones who really are going to have to decide in the Senate whether to allow this legislation through, whether to help pass a bill that divides the country and tramples over the rights of women, um, LGBTI people, single parents and people with disability, or whether they stand up and say, actually, this is not an appropriate bill for a 21st century Australia. Labor has said it will conduct its own consultations on this uh, legislation. What do we know about that consultation? Uh, I've not heard anything about that consultation. I think it's encouraging to hear him make those comments, but I think it will be more encouraging and more constructive to actually see them holding roundtables with the groups who stand the most to lose from this bill. So to hold roundtables, public roundtables with with women's groups, with LGBTI groups, with other affected groups within the community to hear directly from us what's at stake. In a nutshell, what's your major concern about this revamped version of the Religious Discrimination Bill? It seems like a very hard question to answer. There are so many concerns, but what's the main one for you? I think it's hard to narrow it down. There are so many things that are are terrible about this legislation. I think the statements of belief um, protections, which which do trample on Commonwealth, state and territory, existing anti-discrimination protections, but not only that, really fundamentally challenge our anti-discrimination framework. It's throwing away a, a framework that has been built up over 40 years for the sake of the rights of people to be homophobic, to be sexist, to to say offensive and humiliating, ridiculing things about others, which is the antithesis of what anti-discrimination should be about. So perhaps for me, that that's the, the highlight or low light, if you speak, if you say. Alistair Laurie, thanks for joining us today on 3CR. Always wonderful to get your insights and no doubt we'll talk again. Thanks very much. Cheers. Moby or Moby.
Nose Time. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. While Sultan and Nassar are two gay Saudi asylum seekers who are in detention here in Australia. And earlier today, in a dramatic interview, I spoke with Sultan from inside immigration detention. For 16 years, uh, my partner and I, we've been working uh, mostly with the foreign media to help give Saudi Arabia a fair chance in the media by making sure it's accurately and fairly reported on. Not necessarily positively, but just fair and accurate reporting. So what ended up happening is that uh, in uh, March of uh, 2018, a Canadian television channel came to to Saudi Arabia and we were working with them. Uh, We had set up uh, an itinerary for her and interviews that she had requested, but we didn't realize that she had meant to do stories about human rights, uh, which is fine. You can do stories about human rights. I mean, Saudi Arabia certainly has a lot to answer for in that regard. I was working within the Ministry of Media, so I arranged some interviews for her, but she kind of uh, went off uh, the itinerary and against my advice went and started interviewing people that were considered to be uh, dissidents against the kingdom. And I had told the reporter that if you do that, those people may have to answer to the authorities upon your leaving the country. Well, she didn't listen. Um, She went and did those interviews without me knowing. A very nasty report came out about the kingdom shortly after that, and I was hauled in uh, for questioning by the Presidency of State Security regarding those interviews. I had no idea that they had happened, but I was blamed for giving her a visa to come into the country. I was blamed for those interviews happening, and I was blamed for the repercussions out of those interviews. So um, during those uh, interrogation sessions I had with the Presidency of State Security, they told me that... um, um, well, they asked some questions. Who do you live with? I said, I live with my partner. How many, uh, how old are you? I told him I'm 47. Are you married? No. Do you have kids? No. The person I'm living with, is he married? No. How old is he? He was uh, 35 at the time. Does he have any children? No. Hmm. How many bedrooms do you have in the house? How many beds do you have in the house? As the man was uh, basically hinting that he knew about our relationship, and he threatened me, telling me, if you don't stop working with the foreign media, then uh, we're going to make sure that some secrets do not remain secret. So um, I kept working with the foreign media, although I did slow things down inc- at a lot, tremendously slow things down. But um, in uh, September, end of August of this year, uh, my partner's family suddenly wanted him to stop seeing me, and they knew us as best friends for a long, long time. Um, and their attitude towards me had changed. And they said that they received a phone call giving them information that our relationship is not one that would please God. Well, my partner said that, um, you know, he's not going to stop seeing me. At which point, uh, his brother called and told him, look, the cousins know about uh, your guys' relationship. They're out to get us from. You have to stop seeing him. They're planning on killing him, um, as far as an honor killing is concerned. You know, we didn't take that too seriously. But then uh, we got a phone call on September 5th from the Criminal Investigation Division that investigates so-called gay crimes, and they wanted to see me. And uh, they told me to come in. It was a Thursday, I remember. And uh, Sorry, it was a, yeah, it was a Thursday. They wanted me to come in on Sunday and talk to them. So, and then a couple of hours later, after that first phone call, my partner also got the phone call. So we knew that his family had good, made good on the threats to either get me killed or imprison me or get us permanently separated. They even went as far as getting him a woman prepared to marry him, some woman he's never met before in his life. I'm sorry, someone is knocking on our door just a minute. Sure. Um, I'm sorry, it's one of the guys. Hi. Oh, How are you? I'm having a long one. You know Call you back. Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah, sure. Just ask yeah, for James when you call, okay? No worries. You're listening to 3CR Radio. So, um, just 
trying to remember where we were. Yes, what happened when you were interrupted? Um, the officers came in and told my partner that he's been given a breaching visa. So he's just been released. But for me, there was a little bit of confusion. Uh, my partner had a medical appointment on Monday. So uh, the minister didn't want to grant me a visa until my medical appointment on Monday. But we, <laughs> I don't have a medical appointment on Monday. It's my partner that actually has a medical appointment on Monday. So um, the minister's office said they were going to grant me a visa after that appointment, which is a non-existent appointment. So there just seems to be a little bit of confusion, but uh, we both have been medically cleared by the Commonwealth's uh, medical doctors uh, um, at least last week or a couple of weeks ago. So the fact that uh, he just got released is a great thing, but now I'm a little bit confused, and so is he, and so is our uh, attorney. So Absolutely. hopefully my, uh, my exit will come on Monday after his doctor's appointment. I told him to make sure he didn't miss that appointment. <laughs> This is an extraordinary development. Is he actually out in the community now? Um, he's right now in medical, uh, getting uh, just uh, final information. Um, and then he's going to go to the property department, um, receive the belongings that we arrived with, um, at which point he's going to be put out into the reception area, which is uh, open to the community. He's going to call an Uber, and Uber is going to come and pick him up and take him over to, um, to our attorney. And she's going to put him up for a couple of days until I can uh, get uh, released as well. And then we can just start the lives that we hoped we would start a little over 60 days ago. That's how long we've been in detention. How are you feeling? I mean, this is going very quickly all of a sudden, isn't it? It is. Um, I'm very, very happy that he's out. Of course, I wish I was out. But I know that he'll be safer out in, uh, in the community than he will be in here. So um, I'm just concentrating right now on, uh, on being happy about him being out. You know, we've been together for 16 years, and uh, we uh, had to escape our home in the middle of the night and travel halfway around the world and down under to get here. And uh, to be separated now at this point um, is bittersweet. I'm happy he's out. But of course, I want to be out there with him. But soon enough, it'll come, I'm sure, next week. You must have had an, a very emotional goodbye just a few moments ago. Well, actually, I could have sat with him for another half an hour. But um, I didn't want to cry in front of the guards or anybody. So I just told me, you know what, I got to go now. So, and I don't want to cry on the radio either. <laughs> Absolutely. But I mean, you can if you want to, because it must be incredibly emotional for you. Um, it is. Um, it is. But um, they're happy tears and they're um, concerned because, you know, there have been a lot of crazy turns and twists along the route. I mean, starting from back in September when, uh, when we decided we had to flee the country. Up until now, I mean, uh, getting arrested at the airport in Australia was something that we did not figure into the plan whatsoever. And uh, then finding out that uh, we were sick and having to be hospitalized was, was another uh, major surprise that kind of uh, threw a twist in the works. And then uh, the final uh, surprise today is that we expected both of us to get out at the same time. But uh, I'm staying and he's out because, like I said, they think I have an appointment on Monday, but it's not me, it's actually him. So we'll see. It's, um, it's, <laughs> it's been crazy. Um, I'm sure it'll be over for me next week as well. I'll get out. Um, and then we can actually really begin to see Australia and, uh, you know, see the good that actually exists here. We've heard so many great things about people in Australia and about the country itself that, uh, you know, we've kind of um, very eager to see it. I mean, the amount of support and love that we've felt from the LGBT uh, community here in Australia, just via the, what we've been reading about ourselves on Twitter and on Facebook, 
has uh, really made us feel like, you know, we, we had to leave our families in the middle of the night in Saudi Arabia, but we feel now that we've been adopted by the Australian LGBT uh, community. And uh, it's very, very endearing. Absolutely. What can the LGBTIQ community here in Australia do for you over the next few days while you await your fate? Well, um, for me, not much. Um, my case rests entirely in the minister's hands. Um, the fact that he's given my partner a visa is a very good sign, so I expect that mine will come. Um, just, uh, you know, keep up uh, the comments on, on Twitter and on, uh, and on Facebook. Uh, they keep me quite busy. Um, I did open up a Facebook page for uh, my partner and I. It's uh, Sultan Nassar in Oz. Um, so, uh, yeah, that'll keep me busy. But then, I mean, I do have Netflix, I guess. That'll keep me busy for the next few days. But what we will need when we're out is we'll need a place to stay. And um, probably jobs, because the good news is with these breaching visas that we've been, that my partner has just been given, and the one that uh, I've been told I will have as well next week, it allows us to work. So uh, we'll also be looking for work. So you've been given a guarantee that your bridging visa will be approved next week? Um, I've been told that it will be automatically approved after Monday's non-existent uh, doctor's appointment. And who told you that? Um, the case manager here that's handling our case with immigration and our attorney as well. Our, our attorney is Alison Battison with uh, Human Rights for All. She actually uh, agreed to become our lawyer uh, pro bono from day one as soon as we arrived. So it was an employee of the Australian government who told you that you would be released next week and given a bridging visa? Yes. Well, that's encouraging. Uh, and I think the Minister David Coleman should note that. Yes, I think uh, the information that our case manager is getting is from his office. I'm I'm 100% sure of that, according to our lawyer and to the case manager. So what support will you need? You'll need a place to live, you'll need work, uh, and I guess, you know, you will need to kind of tell your story to the the Australian people further about what conditions have been like in that that centre. Is there anything that you can tell us about the conditions? Well, I mean, um, I don't want to speak uh, negatively about refugees and asylum seekers, um, but 80% of the people that are in here, it's actually, there's two types of people that are in here. There's those that were actually out in the Australian community living their lives, and then they've committed a crime or gotten into trouble. They've served time in prisons um, or in jail. And then they are supposed to be automatically deported from the country. But they're fighting their deportation. And while they fight their deportation, they're being held here at the detention center. And then there's the other 20% that are people like us, like my partner and I, that arrived on, in the country and are applying for asylum, people that have not committed any crimes. So, I mean, there is always a potential for, for violence. There is always a potential uh, for trouble. Drug use and drug sales are rampant within the detention centers. Uh, we have uh, seen it firsthand. We've seen uh, a couple of inmates spiking the uh, drink of another without his knowledge with the substance that appeared to be crystal meth or ice, just to make sure that he failed his drug test so that he's never granted a visa. Um, just today, there was a major fight over in the community area that had the emergency response team officers having to rush there and break it up. Just last month, uh, another of our lawyer's clients uh, was uh, basically... Uh, strung up and in an attempted lynching. So, I mean, the potential for violence here is great. I mean, since we've been here, we've been uh, threatened with uh, getting killed, with getting stabbed. Um, so it hasn't been exactly a walk in the park. But like I said, I mean, uh, this is just part of being in detention. Absolutely. So it's, uh, it's been a very, very difficult time for you. How has it affected your mental health? Um, 
my mental health is quite strong. I considered myself to be quite a strong person. But uh, I did spend uh, three weeks in the hospital at one point, and my partner was here alone. Now, I know my partner. I've been with him for 16 years. He is the sweetest, most forgiving guy. Nothing gets to him. He's not hateful or critical or judgmental of people in any way possible, in any way at all. But after being here in, uh, in detention by himself for three weeks, I came back to an almost different person. He was critical. He was judgmental. He was non-trusting of people. So I had to sit down with him. I told him, look, man, don't let this place change you. Um, you cannot let this place change you. I mean, uh, if you do that, then you will have let them win. And you can't do that. So we've kept away from people. We've kept our door closed. I mean, they were kind enough to put us both in the same room. So by not associating with people, it's allowed us to get back to ourselves, our normal selves, you know, the cheerful, happy, uh, go-lucky kind of people. So, um, you know, there are days when you wake up and it really, really weighs on you. You realize that today's going to be a bad day. And then you just do what you can to get through the day, you know. And we've really depended on one another to, to get through this, you know. He knows how to make me laugh. I know how to make him laugh. So it's been good. I mean, uh, but I can't imagine being in this place alone like he had to be for three weeks while I was ill. And the next couple of days are going to be tough because um, I'm going to be alone. But, uh, you know, I look forward to the day that's going to come, you know, in two or three days when I will be out. Absolutely. Sultan, there's a lot of people thinking of you. Take care in there over the next few days. And uh, we hope to have you on the show when you're out and meet you in the studio in person. Thank you so much for talking to us today on 3CR, which has been an extraordinary day for you and Nassar. Thank you so much. Take care. Courtney Barnett, History Erasure. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, of course, we spoke to Sultan from Inside Immigration Detention. Sultan, of course, is a gay Saudi asylum seeker. He's still in detention, but during the interview, his partner, Nassar, was released. On the line, we have Joe Ball from Switchboard, who has an update about what's going on there. Joe, welcome to the program on this uh, fascinating day for Nassar and Sultan. I can't believe that it's all happened so while you were actually on air. That's quite incredible. But yeah, look, uh, Nassar got freed today around lunchtime, but at the moment Sultan is still in detention. So it's very important at this time that that we don't forget that it, although it's fantastic Nassar has been released, that Sultan is still in there and we need to you know, continue raising this issue and putting the pressure on so that he's out as soon as possible. And I think the main thing about this stuff is to realise that this whole thing has been an unnecessary ordeal from the beginning to the end. When the men came into Australia, they should have been released very, very quickly. Sultan now has a full bill of health. There's no reason for him to be in detention um, and he should be released with his partner as soon as possible. Have you spoken to Nassar since he's been released? I haven't spoken to Nassar, but I have spoken to Sultan from detention. But I am aware that, you know, he's he's uh, being in contact with his lawyer at the moment, with both him and Sultan's lawyer, and, you know, they're looking at what, what's the next step. Because it's really important to realise as well that the two men, well, Nassar's already got a bridging visa, and Touchwood Sultan will have very soon a bridging visa. But there's still a process of seeking asylum that needs to take place. So with, um, we need to keep our eyes on their case and keep supporting them through this process until they have you know full asylum in Australia. There seems to be a lot of mistrust from the LGBTIQ community towards the government on this.
this case. During my interview with Sultan, he said the Australian government had given him a guarantee that his bridging visa would be approved next week. The community seems almost, you know, disbelieving of that, not not wanting to believe it until it happens. Uh, it's a pretty sorry state of affairs and a poor reflection on the government, isn't it, this whole case? Yeah, I think it is, really. I think, look, I went, I went and visited the two men uh, last weekend, and I think it's really important to understand that when people are in detention, they are actually in a jail, and it's jail conditions. And having got, and I, mean, you know, I had to go through numerous checkpoints to get through there, and it is certainly not, you know, it's not a great place to be, and, it's, and people should not be there a day longer than they should have to be. Of course, there has to be some process with people's cases, but in this men's case, they should have immediately been released into the community, Maybe, you know, like there was some health checks that needed to take place. If that needed to happen, um, which it did, that happens. But as soon as they, they get a full bill of health, they should have been released immediately because... You know, holding people in detention, it's, it's a terrible place to be, but it's not good for people's mental health at all. And it's just actually setting people backwards. Absolutely. What were your observations of inside the detention centre? Uh, first of all, can you name the detention centre and tell us a bit about what you observed inside there? I won't talk about the detention centre just because... I won't name the detention centre, but it is an Australian detention centre in Australia. Um As we know, there are a number of detention centres that are offshore, but it wasn't. It's one in Australia. I won't do it for the men's safety. And Sultan is still in detention, so I don't want to um, draw unnecessary attention to where he actually is. But I think that's, you know, and some of that's because he's an LGBTI asylum seeker and, you know, he's in there with other people and just for his safety and on his wishes, I'm not going to release it. But I think, you know, the one that I went to, look, it's just on, on a surface, you know, there's a cleanliness and there's a sterility to it that um, can make you feel like it's not that bad, but it is certainly absolutely a jail. And, and you know, and the conditions where you cannot leave, um, you have limited access to the outside world, um, you have, you know, um, you're thrown in with people that can, you know, feel hostile, who are, in, in, in this men's case, were hostile to their sexuality. It's not a safe place. And I think that you know, detention centres, you need to remember that when someone's seeking asylum, they are not a criminal. But when you're held in a detention centre, you're held in a jail. And I think that's a broader issue for us as, as Australians is to actually think about that instead of celebrating when people have made such a treacherous journey to Australia, what we do is we actually treat them like criminals and throw them into jail. And actually, I feel really celebratory of the fact that Sultan and Nassar have gotten away from Saudi Arabia and gotten away from, they have fleed for their life, and I'm so glad they're here. And these two men who are professionals, who are journalists, and having met them are super lovely. I, I think we should be rolling out the red carpet for for people like them. Uh, but instead what happened is they were, you know, arrested at the airport and thrown into detention. And I just, that's that's something I want to fight against uh, in my role and, 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 and as an Australian. Absolutely. And of course, there must be others uh, in detention. Are there are there some other cases that you're aware of? Absolutely. There's a, there's a one particular case that I, I, I'm looking into at the moment um, with a lawyer. And, and, and when the time comes, I'd love to come back and talk about their case. And this person's actually been in detention for years. Uh, this is not the end for me. I mean, I was very moved by Sultan Nassar and their particular case, but I, I'm also moved by by all asylum seekers in detention, whether they're LGBTQIA plus or, or not. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I intend to be involved in these campaigns ongoingly and I will have a focus on LGBTI because that's my work as the CEO of Switchboard. But, but what I know is that asylum seekers 
who are living in community detention in Australia and some who are in detention centres are calling, you know, the Q Life service that we that we're a partner in. So I know that people need our services and we have a responsibility to them as, as service users to reach out and actually try and change the conditions that are driving people to feel so desperate and alone and isolated. When, as I said, these people are quite heroic, um, people who have come here fleeing their life and taken, you know, huge endeavours for their loved ones and for themselves to keep themselves safe. And, you know, I want to celebrate them coming here and I want to welcome them um, here, not not do what we're actually doing, which is just treating them like, like criminals, and they certainly aren't. It sounds like conditions inside the detention centre that you went to were, were, were terrible. I mean, Sultan talked about some of the conditions that, that he's observed, and the mind can only boggle about what must be going on offshore, not just for LGBTIQ people in detention, but, but all people. Oh, look, I think the offshore conditions are just a hundred times worse. And that's saying a lot, because having been into Australian ones that are, that are onshore, and that wasn't great. You know, I, I think the way... But I think in offshore, it's certainly out of sight, out of mind. You can't go and visit it like I, like I went and visited last weekend. And I think where there are not eyes on and where the media are not going in and erasing and the issues and showing what's going on, you know, there's real danger, you know. And also in offshore detention centres, people are held in countries for LGBTI asylum seekers. People are held in countries where homosexuality is punishable by death. So you're having LGBTI asylum seekers fleeing one country in order to come to a country where they can seek asylum based on their sexuality only to find themselves locked up in offshore detention centres. And that's, you know, as the slogan goes for us activists in this space is there's absolutely no pride in detention, you know. And I think as as LGBTI people who know what it feels like to be, um, some people who are you know older than me know what it feels like to be criminalised for their sexuality, but we now don't experience that. You know, I think we have a responsibility to for people who come here under under those conditions to to roll out the red carpet um, and and make them welcome and to and to stop people from being detained. It's absolutely disgusting and. And, you know, I, I, I encourage people to get involved in these campaigns. Um, me and Ivan from Just Equal, you can follow the work that we're doing through our different groups at Just Equal or Switchboard Victoria to see us when, when we are actually involved and engaged um, around this issue. What can you tell us about Just Equal? Well, Just Equal isn't my group, but that is a group that campaigns around lots of issues. I just joined with them because they'd set up a petition and were campaigning. But that's a group that, you know, formed around marriage equality and has now shifted and is also doing work around the religious discrimination bill and um, is now doing some work around asylum seekers. So, I mean, for me, I'm happy to work with everybody who wants to campaign around this issue because I think we need as many people as possible. And one of the things I think about campaigning around this issue is that, you know, the same time that, you know, Sultan and Nassar are being detained in Australian detention centres, we're, we're seeing a debate around religious freedom. And I think, you know, we've got we've got our priorities wrong in Australia, uh, where we've got a bunch of sort of far-right Christians running the show about putting together these religious discrimination bills. And actually, we should all be focusing on our common humanity and like humanitarian issues like asylum seekers. And I would encourage on that note, all Christians um, and anybody of faith to really think about what's happening in detention centres and, and turn their mind that way. And let's work together as humanitarians across faith 
uh, across sexuality, across gender, to actually de- like end the detention system in Australia. It's it's something that we should all be ashamed of. And, and, I'm, and I'm willing to work with anyone who wants to do this work to, to change that. Joe Ball, thank you so much for talking to us today on 3CR. It's awesome what you and Switchboard are doing with Just Equal to advance the human rights of LGBTIQ asylum seekers and uh, keep us posted. And uh, let's all keep our fingers crossed that Sultan gets his bridging visa next week and is released into the community here in Australia where he belongs with his partner, Nassar. Thanks so much. And if I could add one thing, James, just one last thing. As I say, I know that Sultan is listening right now and I want to send, um, on behalf of the LGBTI community, our love and solidarity your way, Sultan, because um, we're going to get you out and then we're going to see you on the outside. So um, stay strong. Absolutely. Stay strong, Sultan. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Don't let it get to you. Uh, Hopefully we will see you in the community next week. Joe Ball, thanks so much for the chat today. Much appreciated. Thank you. And thanks, 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. In Your Face would like to thank Thornharbour Health for their financial support of this program. Thornharbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thornharbour Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. 